I bet you can easily guess what are the three complaint words most frequently used by children. What are the three words that they string together when they have a complaint? They are, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair between siblings. It's not fair when you're a toddler. It's not fair when you're the younger one. It's not fair when you're growing up. It's, it's actually not fair. And if we were to um, consider the whole span of, of human history and the societies of which we have built our, our humankind and our earth, and we were to ask, what, what might we sort of assess all of this as uh, being a, a fair um, verdict on how things are? I think a lot of us would say it, it's it's that's an easy one. It's it's not fair, because that that really is quite the observable truth of our lives, of our societies, um, of our activities, of the things that happen to us. It's just not fair. And what we're going to do today is dig into some of the kinds of feelings, like the feeling of things not being fair. And um, on the other side of that, the desire for justice. I mean, who's going to set it right? Who's going to fix it? When will it be fair? What about the things that haven't been fair? Will, will they get turned around as, as we saw at the very beginning of the whole thing? Our friend Sam G said, um, will everything that is sad come untrue? Well, will it? We're going to talk today about justice. We're actually going to talk uh, about five things that are part of what is called natural theology. And I'll give you just a little primer on what that means. Um, natural theology is, and I'll quote a scholar named Alistair McGrath, who's well known as an evangelical um, theologian. He, he says, natural theology is the branch of theology which investigates what human reason unaided by revelation can tell us concerning God. Let me say that again. It's the branch of theology which investigates what human reason unaided by revelation can tell us concerning God. Now for some of us, we may kind of raise our eyebrows at that and say, mm, are you sure we're allowed to do that sort of thing? Well. Let me bring you just quickly to a little reference in Scripture, which is the part in Romans where, where Paul says, don't you understand that th things that are... You can observe things about God. You can learn things about his eternal nature. Um, you, you can turn learn things just by looking at what he has created. The psalmist does the same things. He he looks and he considers the heavens and he considers the the, uh, the stars and he considers animals and so on and he and he infers from what he experiences some things that he believes are true of God. So natural theology does that sort of thing. It it kind of it, it's the opposite direction, if you like, um, from where we normally go, uh, and that is rather than starting with what God has told us and allowing that to come into our minds and hearts to try to understand and live according to it, we start with ourselves and say, suppose there is nothing 
that is helping us to know the the big important truths of lives of life what might we infer from the things we we do experience the things we do think about the things we do feel now today i will i will come to the other end of it and say in in each of the areas we consider there is something that comes that is not just natural theology, it is actual uh, revelation from Scripture for us. But in, in a sense, all of this is a different apologetic. So it's a different apologetic in this sense. Um, an apologetic is the reason for our belief. Why do we believe what we do? And Sometimes we will say we believe what we do because it can be understood and argued and presented from what is revealed in Scripture. In this approach to apologetics, we're saying, starting with ourselves, there is enough to argue for the existence of God. In fact, as we saw in Romans, or as as we would see in Romans, Paul says you actually can know a lot from scripture before anything is revealed to you through this, the scriptures that are given to you. So as we look at natural theology, we're going to look at five human experiences, five human impulses, five few human questions, um, five matters of the human heart and mind that cause us to ask and to sort of look into the skies, look to the heavens and say, are you there and what are you doing? The first one is the matter of justice. Um, the whole question of is anything going to sort this out? Is anyone going to sort this out? Um, is anybody going to be called on what he or she has done or not done? Is is there a, is there a, a payday? Is there is there um, an accountability day? Is there a court somewhere? Is is there justice that will finally be meted out on this earth? So I, I bring you back to the chart that I introduced last week. And if you have not um, listened to that, you might want to go back and, and just review everything that I said there because I was trying to give you a chronology of the end time events. And as we talk about this chronology, I, I want to bring to your attention two events now that we can see in their proper place in the chronology of the end times. And they have to do with the question of judgment. Uh, they have to do with the question of justice. They have to do with our dilemma, it's not fair. So it's not fair and we wonder, is there justice? And we want to talk about the possibility that justice will come as judgment is actually brought by the person who uh, only has the right to to render judgment. So I, I, I'm kind of pushing this forward. We, we will press hard in the next four times after this on the senses that we have, the, the, the issues that we have that draw us out to a question of is there a God, is there a meaning, and what are these signs towards that? We, we've been referring to all of this as a longing. And I, I, I want to give you an, another little sort of motif today. And the motif, uh, as well as longing, is the motif of a signpost. 
each of these longings that we're going to talk about, so the longing today, the longing for justice, each of those longings is in the human heart as a signpost to something. It's, it's pointing, we hope, to there being justice that will finally be served. Um, it's a broken signpost. Sometimes at best it's a broken signpost because all of our human understanding is finite. All of our human experience is, is subject to so many different shifts and turns. Um, but these signposts, albeit broken, are pointing somewhere. Now we've been saying that the longing that we're identifying, first of all, in the events of the stories of the Bible, and now um, as those things in our hearts that are what we might call facets of natural theology, um, all of those things are pointing forward. And so I want to propose that the, the longing for justice is also pointing forward. And it's pointing forward to the judgment that the Bible actually declares is coming. So here we go. We go past natural theology and we press along to special theology or revealed theology and say, what does the Bible say about this? Because we're, we're kind of clear on the dilemma that there does not seem to be any justice. We're, we're clear on th the experience of things not being fair. And if I were to have the opportunity to sit with a crowd of you together and just ask what, what things come to mind when I say the response to these situations is it's not fair. And, and I think we could just rhyme off all of the things that we say it's not fair about. Things that have happened in our world, things that have happened in our lives, things that happened to our friends, things that didn't happen in our world, things that didn't happen in our lives, things that didn't happen to our friends. It's, it's all fair. Why him and not him? Why her and not her? Why this and not that? What would have happened if it had been this way instead of that way? And was anybody noticing when this was going on? Or how can they get away with these things? How can he get away with these things? All of this sort of bubbles up and it uh, troubles us to the point that I think this becomes almost the, the, the main marker of, of these questions emerging from our own existence that we hope press up into answers uh, that could be discovered if not by what we just see with our own eyes by what we then have turn to scripture for so that we say we don't have enough revelation for this so so what does the bible say so with justice uh, we won't go very much farther than to say yes we think there needs to be justice we hope there's judgment is it going to be or not so we come back as i say to the chronology of the end time events of, of the bible the two things i want to talk about are the two judgments that the bible declares are coming and here they are first of all there is what is called the judgment seat of Christ and secondly there is what's called the great white throne of judgment they're they're both ominous and uh, terrifying in 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 their presentation in the scriptures to us and they are also um, 
ideas or topics that cause us ambivalence because when we think about the fact that there are judgments coming then we think good good in the respect that we think some people need to be judged or some situations need to be judged bad because if they're coming that also means that they're coming for me so how badly do I want to be judged I mean it's one thing for me to want the the despots of the world to be judged but me I you know yeah I've done some wrong things but you're not going to call me in those are you and so we have this ambivalence that says, okay, judgment, I'm not so sure that I brought the topic up wisely. Um, but here we are. Um, justice is something that we all, as humankind, would would want to say that we, we, we look for and welcome and accept. But it's also something that we know we can't find we've not been able to find it we've not been able to settle it we've not been able to find fixes or um, directions and and so if judgment is coming we'll we'll kind of steal ourselves and hope that in the coming of that judgment there's not great pain for all of us so the two judgments that the bible talks about are the judgment seat of christ and the great white throne of judgment. So when do they happen? The judgment seat of Christ happens after the rapture of the church. So as I say, I hope you were listening last week so that that's not just a new term. But before the tribulation period begins, before the millennium is ushered in, uh, the church is taken away in what we call the rapture, um, the the New Testament term that Paul used, as we saw last week, is the term gathering, our gathering unto the Lord Jesus. We had some thoughts about how we know that we are going to be somewhere other than earth when the tribulation comes. And again, you can review that, but it it's has, has to do with the fact that this is business with Israel still. Um, it's business that, that will take place without the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is the restrainer, as we saw. So after the rapture, one of the next things that seems to be on the agenda is the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne of judgment, on the other hand, takes place at the end of the millennium. So over this whole span of time, we have the seven-year period, and then we have a thousand years, they sort of start and end with judgment, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and then the great white throne of judgment. So, so let me bring you to the passages that uh, talk about those two judgments. And typically when, when we introduce the idea of these judgments, um, the same questions will we'll push forward. I mean, who's being judged? What, what will they be judged for? What will the result of their judgment be? And uh, it all starts with, well, when? And so we've begun to try to get at the when. But let me, let me go to this first um, chronological judgment that is yet future for us. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God regardless of our conditions. 
We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. That keeps us vigilant, you can be sure. It's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. So that is a sobering thought. But it's one that's very important for us to consider because it will have enormous implications on how we live our lives. So let let me take it apart a little bit for us. First of all, who are the people who go to this judgment? So we're asking about the judgment seat of Christ and then the great white throne of judgment. Is, Is judgment for everybody meted out at both of these judgments? Or are there different people that are judged in the two events uh, that are identified as judgment. Well, I'll propose to you that those who attend the judgment seat of Christ and those who attend the great white throne of judgment are two entirely separate kinds of and uh, groups of people. So if we begin with the judgment seat of Christ, um, you've probably already gotten the clue that uh, that has to do with those that are Christ's at his coming, as we're told, who are um, gathered up and business for them begins in heaven as it does on earth. Um, But in heaven it begins with judgment. On earth it begins with the unfolding of the the judgments of God called um, uh, trumpets and field uh, seals and and um, that all gets pretty complicated but but when we are taken to heaven and y- using the image of the bridegroom and bride we're, we're kind of helped to understand what this means the, the bride has been brought to heaven and something is going to happen later on it's called the marriage supper of the lamb and before the marriage supper takes place, in Revelation, um, John records an angel saying that the bride has made herself ready. So there's this idea that the bride is being prepared for a great celebration. And to prepare for that celebration, um, she prepares herself. She um, she would bathe, she would put on a, a lovely garment and it would be without wrinkle it would be just just you know the utmost of finery and that is being accomplished by what is called the judgment seat of Christ now the judgment seat of Christ says Paul is something that we must all attend and what's it going to be about well Paul says um, we will be judged according to what we have done the very important part of this is the little phrase, either good or bad. Are we going to be judged with the possibility of losing our salvation? Are, are we going to be sized up? Are we going to show up and God is going to say something to us like, well, you got this far, but um, in order for you to get to the next stage, um, you're going to have to you know, meet a higher bar. You're going to have to qualify a little differently. The importance of that little phrase, either good or bad, is that while there are other terms that could be used, the, the Greek terms that are used simply mean this, either good or, and notice this, good for nothing 
are worthless. So it's not that we're being judged and the things that we have done are being assessed as either good, morally good, ethically good, or bad, morally bad, or ethically bad. We're being judged to see whether how we have spent our lives, the pile of stuff that we have brought with us, the, the accomplishments, the you know the the credentials, we're we're being judged as to whether they are of a quality that is called good, useful, or a quality that is called worthless, um, not bad, not necessarily bad, but not good for anything. So you, you, you get the image when later in the New Testament we hear that there, there are these rewards of gold, silver, and precious stones and wood, hay, and stubble. And I, I think the image of, of the Bible is that the, the purifying gaze of God on our lives, which is sobering in itself, um, essentially reduces what we spent our lives doing to things that are either characterized as good sil- gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And the sad thing is that the wood, hay, and stubble will simply be consumed, and then we'll be left with gold, silver, or precious stones. It would be very hard for us to assess now how someone's life is going to stack up later on. We are very poor judges of motives and of character. And I think there's going to be a big surprise when we see who is receiving, you know, um, the commendation that has to do with their lives being spent um, purchasing, if you like, gold, silver, and precious stones, as opposed to those who have spent their lives purchasing or working for or producing wood and stubble. Things that we have thought important in life surely will somehow, many of them, just be put on the wood hand stubble pile and say, well, it really wasn't that important. It was important to you, uh, but it was it was time limited, and, and it, it didn't pay forward into eternity. So we need to think about those things, but it brings us back to the judgment seat of Christ and um the the helpful understanding that we're not going to be judged negatively but we're actually going to be judged positively and so the hope towards the judgment seat of Christ um, is that we will have spent our lives um, building um, with with bricks that are of, of the right quality right motives um, we will have spent our lives developing character that is Christ-like. We will have spent our lives um, building relationships that are loving. And all of it is towards this idea that when we reach heaven, there will be a come-to-Jesus kind of a moment where um, our lives will be laid bare before us. And it will be quite clear to the Lord and to ourselves, I don't know how many witnesses there will be. I don't know if this is a personal interview or, or what it is. But Paul says uh, this is something to take seriously because we will all stand there. We will all be there. So it's not a light thing to know that we will stand in that place of judgment.
That's the judgment seat of Christ. The other is far more serious. It's called the great white throne of judgment. And when we have the existential dilemmas of justice, this is the one that I think we are casting forward to. Will the atrocities ever um, be identified, be, be weighed out, be shown up for what they were, um, uncovered? Will the, will the victims ha- have their day in court? Will, will, will there be an opportunity for, for those who have been wronged um, to make statements about their having been wronged? Um, will those who are, who, are, who are the perpetrators, will they be held culpable? Or will, will people get, get away scot-free? Um, because as we work our way through time, that's a big problem we have, that why do people get away with what they do and why do people get to be the, the brunt of the, the folly or, or the, the, the malice or, or the, the actual um, wickedness of, of different people? Um, Job is a great story of um, the idea that if you're a good person, you, things should go well, and if you're a bad person, things should go poorly. And Job is a case in point, and he says, well, that doesn't work. And Proverbs is another case in point where there's a litany of, well, you would think that the wicked would be punished, but no, actually they thrive many times, and the righteous suffer. So is is there any justice? And we agree with Solomon and Kohelet and Job and say, yeah, that's a great question. Is there any justice? Well, it, it fast-forwards us to the great white throne of judgment where I think that question is answered. So here's what um, uh, John the Apostle recalls from his vision into heaven. He says, I saw a great white throne, and the one enthroned. Nothing could stand before or against the presence, nothing in heaven, nothing on earth. And then I saw all the dead, great and small, standing there before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, by the way they had lived. Sea released its dead. Death and hell turned in their dead. Each man and woman was judged by the way he or she had lived. Then death and hell were hurled into the lake fire. This is the second death, lake fire. Anyone whose name was not found inscribed in the book of life was hurled into lake fire. Boy, judgment seat of Christ, destiny has already been determined. If you are at the judgment seat of Christ, you belong to Christ. You will be judged according to your works, but only as to whether they were good or good for nothing. The great white throne judgment, on the other hand, is a judgment that would um, conform to the more popular notion that there will be piles of good things and bad things in our lives, and we will be judged according to how they measure out. Because we're told here that the books were opened, and the books would be the books 
that are the record of human lives that have lived through all of humankind's time. When those books are opened, then what was written in those books will be the reason for the judgment that is past. So I think very clearly we see that there will be a judgment that is relative to work, relative to deeds, relative to um, the lives we have lived. Those who have been wicked to excess would seem to deserve greater punishment than those that have not been as wicked. There seems to be a scale. There seems to be a, a, a variation in the judgment that will be brought against those who are found guilty. But all of it comes from, um, again, our lives laid bare and God having the supreme and sovereign authority to judge by what is laid bare about our lives, whether we are guilty or innocent. Now, he has been providing to us the way that we can find grace and mercy. And the wonderful news about the judgment seat of Christ is that no matter how bad the list is of things that I am charged with and found guilty of, there is one thing and one thing alone that can give me a pass from the great white throne. That is the death of Christ. Because by his death, um, one man died for everybody so that everyone's sins can be forgiven. One sacrifice forever, and then he sat down. So everything that I have done that at the great white throne could be brought up against me is not admissible because those things have been forgiven. It does not give me any license to, to live that way anymore. In fact, it'd be a shame if I thought that I should or could. But it does tell me that no matter what I have done or will do, I will have a pass from the great white throne. So those things will not be laid out in front of me um, Satan is called the accuser, so what he would love to do is point out all the things that I am and have done and do that are not right, right, according God, according to your your lists. But but God's answer is that but it doesn't matter. You can't accuse him because he has already paid the price for those offenses through his identification with my son Jesus in his death on the cross. On the other hand, at the great white throne, there is this matter of a book that is called the book of life. And the very intriguing question is, what happens to the names in the book of life? And what names are in the book of life at the end of the day? So John says everybody was called up, right? So no matter where you ended up, John sees you, you're brought, you're brought from the ocean, you're brought from the earth, you're brought from earth, and, and you're lined up. And then concerning you and your life, the book of life is opened. And that with whatever other books seem to have been called forward give evidence of your life 
And so the evidence that is brought from your life um, then will give God reason to render the judgment that he does. I, I think there are degrees of punishment, as I've already said. Um, and it, it is not happily not our responsibility to sit as ju- judges or even to imagine how this will work out. Uh, but it does answer the question, is there going to be justice? Yes, there, there absolutely is. Um, the justice that comes will be very severe, and it, it could have been averted because of the grace and mercy of God by Christ. And we don't know at the great white throne of judgment what will actually come forward there and what the results will be. We know what the results will be for some people because what happens is that apparently the book of life has names that are still there and they're names whose record in the book of life has been deleted. And however all of this works, if your name is not found in the book of life, um, then you are bound for eternal doom in the lake fire, says John. Now, are they the same people as show up at the judgment seat of Christ? I don't think so. So there's more that happens here, and some of it will have to do with this millennial period of time because the judgment of people at the great white throne will include those who have lived into and through the millennium. How will those people finally respond to God? Um, Now they've seen Jesus as the king of kings, and he has been the righteous ruler over a, a lovely kingdom of peace, and then Satan is let loose, and he goes to deceive people again. That deception... I think at least in part, um, will populate the great white throne. Because at the end of the day, somehow he will still be able to deceive, still able to delude. And he will be um, fast-tracked to his final destiny of doom. And sadly, says John, um, those who, who still would rebel against God and his Savior... Um, will go the same way because that's that's where they have chosen to go. Is there going to be justice? Yes, there is. It's not an easy topic to consider. Um, the The ramifications are enormous. The questions that linger in our minds are also enormous. Um, questions about those who have never heard this story that we talk about called salvation and really will will they will their names be taken out of the book of life or or do we suggest that maybe names are only taken out of the book of life when they reject what god offers by his grace and mercy or when they finally reject what he offers by his grace and mercy um time will tell But in the meantime, Paul says, your business is to look at the lives you're living and realize that every single day, every single thing that you do will be counted. It'll be sorted out. There will will be um, an accounting of the things that you've done, 
the ways that you've been that are good and the ways that you've been, the things that you've done that are good for nothing. And at the result of that will be the reward that you receive. I think the, the lovely conclusion to the judgment seat of Christ is that in Revelation we're seen to be casting crowns at Jesus' feet. What, what crowns? So crowns are usually an, an image of, of reward in the Bible. And if we're going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, um, is it so that we can wear our crowns or our pins or our medals or our stripes through eternity? I don't think so. I think when, when we look to our hands, um, realizing who it is, th this lamb, because Revelation has a phenomenal drama of the lamb who is called the one who is worthy and they're, everyone is falling down before him, worshiping him. And we, we, I think, find our place in those who are casting their crowns before his feet. So whatever he has given to me by way of commendation, I then have in my hands to give back to him. Because anything that I have done that was noteworthy was all by grace. And so it doesn't accrue to me to parade those things. It is my opportunity and privilege to give them back to the Lord Jesus by way of worshiping, by way of casting crowns at his feet. Justice, is it coming? Yeah, it is. Heavy topic. Um, something we shouldn't avoid realizing is, is coming down the pike. Uh, judgment is coming for me. It's coming for every one of us. What kind of judgment is going to come will depend entirely on how uh, each person responds to God's grace. He is full of grace, mercy, and love. He would rather meet us as a loving father than as a judging God. Let me finish by giving you a poem from our favorite poet, Malcolm Geith. It's a reflection on Psalm 42. And I think it brings us back to the judgment seat of Christ and how vivid, how powerful, how enormous that will be um, as we just assess ourselves and how we have lived in the light of that being our future. You are my heart's desire from first to last. Like as the heart desires the water brooks, so longs my soul towards you, so I thirst. For living streams, not for the dusty books they write about you, nor the empty words that ring from pulpits, nor the haughty looks of those who market you. These are the shards of broken idols. I long for the deep in you that calls the deep in me, the chords that sound those depths and summon me to weep at first with tears of grief and then with tears of joy, that I may sow those tears and reap a timeless harvest, that the ripened ears of grain may shine as clean and clear as gold, shucked of the husk of all my wasted years. Isn't that a lovely image? Shucked of the husk of all my wasted years.
at that judgment seat of Christ, it'll be a pile of husks. And um, it is never too late for us to start um, regathering our priorities and activities and values so that the husks become fewer and the treasures become more. God bless.